Ever snore so loud it registered as an earthquake or you woke up with a throat as dry as the Sahara Desert and a headache that could stop a locomotive? Well, I've had all of these because I have sleep apnea. Hi, I'm Scott Mitchell. Yep, I wear a machine plugged into a wall attached to a hose every night. Sound Sleep Medical changed all of this for me, and they can do that for you. They specialize in providing oral appliance therapy for individuals suffering from sleep disorders. In many cases, oral appliances have proven to be as effective as CPAP machines in treating sleep apnea. The lack of sleep is a serious health risk and has been linked to heart disease, stroke, diabetes, and even depression. The oral appliance I got from Sound Sleep Medical has freed me from a hose. I can go anywhere, and I've never slept better. Call Sound Sleep Medical today. Seriously, for a limited time, the first 25 people that call get a free consultation worth 200 bucks. Call 801-783-5451. It's 801-783-5451. Hello, I'm Jim Bennett. I'm Abby Bennett. And this is Dinner Table Politics. But I want to begin by talking about something that I think transcends politics. There are moments in American history that define us. And some of these moments are good. You know, we look at the moon landing and we say, look at what America was able to accomplish. Fake, though. So. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. Look at this. But you know how difficult it would have been to fake the moon landing? Yeah, we've talked about it. Right. So, the moon landing and victory in World War II when we saved the world from tyranny. Lots of... We saved the world from tyranny? Well... Canada did a good job in that. Canada was... Okay, where we participated in saving the world from tyranny. Yeah. How's that? The United States in the World Wars was really good at coming in at the last minute and being like, hey! World War II, we were decisive. World War I, we wouldn't I think... wouldn't have gone into it if they hadn't bombed Pearl Harbor. But I digress. Oh, we digress. Uh, there are a number of magnificent things that the United States has done, and I believe there are a number of magnificent things the United States will do in the future. Conversely, there are some atrocities in our history that will forever stain our legacy. The greatest and biggest, of course, slavery would be slavery. The greatest and biggest? Uh, great in terms of, it's like how Ollivander used it when he talked about how Voldemort was terrible to great. Don't say his name. Oh, I shouldn't say his name. But great in terms of its magnitude, not in terms of its goodness. Yeah. So slavery, I would think the treatment of Native Americans uh, is Looking right at up you, there. Andrew Jackson. Right. Why you're on our money and not Harriet Tubman is beyond me. Have you seen the Harriet Tubman stamp? Because they've delayed printing the Harriet Tubman $20 bill. And so somebody's created so. a stamp that you can stamp over Andrew oh, Jackson's really? face. Is that illegal to, like, is that defacing? I don't think so. I But I could be wrong on that. We'll have to do some Because every once in a while, like, I, I, like, work in a box office. So, like, I, I handle, like, cash a lot. And, like, people will, like, write weird things in their dollar bills and stuff, you know. And, and well, know. is that allowed? Well, marked currency, when I worked as a bank teller, was part of the packet that you'd give to bank robbers. So the, they would see the marked currency. and So if you can mark currency... Wait, don't say that, because then any bank robbers that hear this will, oh, will know. Sorry about that. I, just kidding. They don't do that. They don't do that. But no, you can go through and see all of the terrible things that the United States has done. And what... What's sad is that we sometimes delude ourselves into thinking that that's not possible anymore. We've learned our lesson. We would never, ever do something that awful again. 
And one of the most recent atrocities would be the internment of American citizens of Japanese ancestry during World, World War, War II. Ah, uh, FDR. FDR. I really screwed the pooch on that one, my friend. Well, uh, I look at what's happening now on the southern border to be on par with what happened then. Yeah. Uh, what we are doing to people who are trying to seek refuge in the United States, we're doing this to asylum seekers. Yeah. We're not doing this just to people who are trying to cross into the border illegally. We are try- we're doing this to people who are coming to this country legally seeking refuge. Yeah. And we divide their families. We lock up their children what is in the, unsanitary what, what, conditions. Is, the, is there, like, obviously, like, it's so wrong, but do, is there justification given by the people that are doing this why they divide the families? Well, what is the point? Initially. I can't think of any other, thi- like, any other place you would go to that it's necessary to take children from parents besides, like, daycare. Well, you you're know? not taking children from parents. The parents are giving their children to the daycare. Well, yeah, it was it was a joke, but okay, it, didn't, it didn't land because we're talking about <laughs> Sorry, a horrible, it, horrible thing that's happening. We're talking about a but horrible what is what even is the point? Like, Well, so this is, getting to the bottom of that has been a very murky sort of thing to do because the Trump administration has tried to make it look more complicated than it really is. But if you ask me, and you are asking me, uh, the origin of it, the point of it, comes from Jeff Sessions' zero-tolerance policy. Jeff Sessions, the former attorney general, created a zero-tolerance policy for illegal immigration and insisted that the cruelty of tearing children away from their families would serve as a deterrent to anybody else trying to cross into the country illegally. And so the cruelty actually was the point of the policy. So it's like torture in the town square. That's, a set, that's make, exactly what it is. So nobody else will like steal. That is exactly what it is. Now, uh, President Trump has come under such fire that he's tried to point out that this is consistent with previous policies under the Obama administration, which is almost true, but not really the kinds of separations that happened under the Obama administration happened primarily with people who were being incarcerated for dangerous crimes. Oh. I mean, if you were a violent offender and you brought your children with you, you may end up not having your children with you as you are prosecuted. But we are separating children from people who are legally coming to this country applying for asylum. Uh-huh. That's That's completely intolerable. Right. But the thing is... Beyond that, beyond that, I mean, put that aside, that has already been prosecuted in the courts. We've talked about that to a large degree. The courts have now ordered the Trump administration to reunite these families that have been separated. Why are they not? Well, because they stink. I don't know. What? <laughs> That's the short answer. But the, the reunifications are happening. They're happening slowly. And I think the Trump administration is delivering. There's a lot, of, there's a lot of kids they got to they got to reunite. Right, so it's going right. to take some time. Right. I mean that's what they say. But what's happening? That 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 I mean all of that I think is intolerable. But what pushes this into the realm of atrocities is the idea that we are not treating these children with the same dignity we treat prisoners of war. Yeah. Terrorists at Guantanamo Bay are treated more humanely than children, innocent children on our southern border. 
uh, Mormon Women for Ethical Government. Are you familiar with MWEG? Yeah, I was going to make a really bad joke, but then I decided not to. Oh, okay. I was like, they should think about becoming so bad they get taken to Guantanamo Bay then. Well, there you <laughs> get go. treated better. Well, uh, yikes. Well, MWEG, Mormon Women for Ethical Government, issued a statement where they pointed out that 37 children last year were left in a hot van for 39 hours. Did any of them die? Well, seven children have died in in American custody oh, since this policy gosh. was issued. And what we're finding now from advocates who go down and see these camps is that these children are being kept in unsanitary conditions. They are not given soap. They are not given toothpaste. toothpaste. Yeah. They are piled onto a floor in rooms that are too small. um, Like astronaut blankets, whatever those are. Given astronaut blankets and told to sleep on a concrete floor where the lights are on all night. I mean, we don't treat prisoners of war like this. Yeah. We have national and international law that prevents us from treating people like this. This defies the Geneva Conventions. So why, why are other countries speaking up then? I don't know what other countries are doing. I, I know they that all have their own issues as well. They all have their own issues. But the reason why I want to say that I don't think this is a political issue because whenever I start to discuss this, it always invariably becomes, well, it's their fault. Well, it's Trump's fault. Well, it's Congress's fault. Well, you know, and then that's the discussion. It becomes yeah. a political discussion. And the reality is we do not have time to waste talking politics. We need to get down there with the full force of the American government and the National Guard and whatever resources we have at our disposal and go in and get these children out of these concentration camps, which I'm is what board. they are. I'm on board with that. Did you follow the whole Twitter exchange with Michael Godwin about concentration camps? No, but I saw tons of flame wars about, it's not a con- don't call it a concentration camp, blah, 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 blah. Right, right. But, I'm well, like, there's, there, it's just so stupid. Do you know, do you know what Godwin's law is? No. All right, when we get back from our break, I want to talk about Godwin's law, I want to talk about concentration camps, and I want to continue to be outraged until we take action to save these children. You've never heard of Godwin's Law? No. So Michael Godwin is an attorney. And but, which is where the name Godwin's Law came from. From Michael his Godwin. His last name. His last oh, name. Oh, it's all coming together. It's all coming together. Michael Godwin is an attorney who used to participate in the old news groups that were the beginnings of the internet. You know, before Facebook, before Flame Wars oh, and all this. the good this. old days. The good old days. You had these funky, weird text exchanges in what were called news groups where people would argue about this, that, and the other. And he said that the longer a discussion continues, the likelihood of an analogy to Hitler or the Nazis approaches one. <laughs> and the idea is that any discussion on any topic, eventually someone will say, you're like Hitler. Or this is like the Nazis. Yeah. I mean, that's not just politics. That's Star Trek. Right. That's, I mean, you're worse than the Nazis. And it's a, it's a good rule of thumb because people use Nazi analogies just far too flippantly. Well, they, they're very, like, everybody knows what they're talking about. You know? Exactly. So it's effective in that way. Well, and it adds a certain gravitas. Yeah, you bring up Hitler and people are like, whoa. Whoa, all of a sudden you dropped a bomb here and Hitler, wow, well, this is bad and I know exactly how bad that is and it's the gold how standard come, for evil. How come it's him and not, like, Mao Zedong or, like, um, Stalin? 
Well, uh, I, I actually have friends I that believe like, Stalin is misunderstood. I feel like in terms of actual human lives lost, Stalin was like number one. I would agree with you. But I think the, uh, the reason why it's so powerful is that Hitler has permeated the public consciousness yeah. in a way Stalin has not. That's true. And the other thing is we have... I, I, I actually uh, watched a video on this where somebody asked the question, why don't we talk about Stalin and these other dictators who, who killed many of their own people? And the difference is media. The difference is we have video footage of going into these concentration camps and seeing these people yeah. who were starved and killed and Stalin and all those guys did all that away from the cameras. Yeah, that's true. So I it's a lot harder for people to wrap their brains around it. But Hitler, well, well, and, and Hitler was just so clearly black and white, overtly evil yeah. in his racist, genocidal attempt to purge the world of the Jewish people. And, you know, so it, it's just easier for people to grasp. Yeah. To use Hitler as the gold standard. Anyway, back to Godwin's Law. So... When people start getting into discussion, the creation of Godwin's law, I mean, it's not a, it hasn't been passed by any legislature, but it's its sort of a rule of thumb where people start saying, oh, Godwin's law, buddy, back off with the Hitler analogies. Yeah. Well, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was, I think, the first prominent public figure to call these concentration camps. Yeah. And she got smacked down, back, up, down, and sideways by a lot of people. And then there was a guy on MSNBC who said, let's not call these concentration camps, remember Godwin's law. And Michael Godwin, bless his heart, got onto Twitter and, and replied to that tweet and said, no, these are concentration camps. And he's well, since gone thank on... thank you, Michael. And he's since gone on and says, C compare these blankety blanks to Nazis all you want. Because he, he never intended Godwin's law to be, you know, justification for actual so fascism, nothing can ever become like nothing can ever be comparable to. Right, and uh, you look at what's happening there, and I mean uh, there are differences. Obviously, you know the concentration camps in Nazi Germany were designed to, to kill these people deliberately. Well, there were like work camps and exterminate. This is dumb. I'm right. not going to get into the right, war. right, right. And we're not trying to exterminate these children. No, but the end result of leaving them alone in heat, hot cars and refusing to give them soap and toothbrush and making them sleep on a concrete floor. We're doing the same thing through benign neglect that, that they were accomplishing through deliberate means. Yeah. And so I think it's entirely appropriate to call them concentration camps because nobody tolerates concentration camps and we're tolerating what's happening on the Southern border. We should have no tolerance for that. It doesn't matter if you are a Republican, if you are a Democrat, if you are left-wing, right-wing, if you are United Utah Party. It doesn't matter where you are on the political spectrum. You don't leave children in hot cars. You don't starve them to death on a concrete floor without soap and basic hygiene. That's just weird because if that was happening like in a house in Utah, if like, a, if like a parent was doing that to their kids, CPS would get called. Oh yeah. And they'd go to jail. Overnight. If you, if you like, if you leave your kid in a car for like 20 minutes on a hot day to go into the store, like the police can get called. Right. So I don't want to spend. Even your dog. You leave your dog in a car. That's exactly right. That's exactly Someone right. Someone will shatter your windows. And, and 
So I don't want to spend another second talking about the politics of this. I don't want to start blaming Trump. I don't want to start blaming Congress. Congress, bless its heart, has actually taken action now to some degree. The Senate passed a bill. The House passed a bill. There was a fight between them as to which bill. What? That's crazy. There was a fight. Well, and Nancy Pelosi, to her credit, has said, no, I'm just going to allow a vote on the Senate bill in order to be able to take care of this quickly. Yeah. So hopefully we're going to see a resolution of this fairly quickly. And But th- this needs to be an outrage to anybody. And anybody that tries to play politics with it, anybody that says, okay, well, yeah, but it's their fault, or Obama did it too, or this, that, and the other, they're, they're playing political football with the lives of children. And that's not acceptable to do in the United States. And adults, too. And adults, too. Speaking of children and adults, here's a lovely segue. I think we have no choice but to address the two presidential debates that just took place. How is that speaking of children? Because some of these are children. They act like children. Oh, okay. I, I'm making fun of politicians. Okay. that was. It just wasn't that... The joke wasn't that clear. It, was, it didn't, it didn't like really land. The joke was more for segue purposes than for humor purposes. Well, I didn't laugh, so. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. No, I think we need to talk about these presidential debates. The problem is I haven't watched them. Have you? I'm embarrassed. I'm on... No, I haven't watched them, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. There's been a lot going on. Well, you know, I... I I was talking to a friend of mine, and I finally said, should I be watching these? And we were going back and forth, and I finally said, I don't hate myself enough to inflict these onto my life at the moment. Well, I feel like when it gets closer to me actually having a say and a vote, then I'll watch the debates. But I just get burnt out when we start this early. Right. Well, we started this early in 2016, and I actually watched some of the early debates because I wanted to see how much Donald Trump would make a fool of himself. Ah, the good old days. And it never occurred to me, at least early on, I I, I think I caught on faster than most of the conventional wisdom did that Trump could win. Okay, brag about it. Yes, I am smarter than most people is what I'm trying to say. One of the smartest people that has ever lived. How's that? Agree to disagree. Agree to disagree. Uh, But... Initially, these first debates, it was, oh, we need to watch this because Donald Trump's going to be in there and yeah, he's going to say we, like, crazy we got our popcorn things. Out, like... Right. And you watched him and he did. He said crazy things. And he made funny faces and then we made him into gifts. And it was, it was entertaining until you realized that this guy could end up being president of the United States, which he did. <laughs> Help. But so th- there's no entertainment value. In any of these Democratic candidates, with one possible exception. Have you heard of Marianne Williamson? I saw, well, I've been seeing tweets about making fun of stuff like that. Like uh, they said, I saw this one and it was like, uh, Marianne Williamson is what happens when an Instagram influencer grows up or something. And Well, we'll talk about her and the other candidates when we get back from our break. Marianne Williamson is an anti-vaxxer. Ah, that's one thing I just, I don't even want to give those people the time of day. Like, it's not worth even, like, 
conversing with them. On Do you that know who else stuff. is an anti-vaxxer? Oh, no. Who? The President of the United States. Oh, I did know that, actually. I, yeah. And you found he, that he, out. Who was, what did he say? He was like, he was a completely normal, like, kid, and then, six-month-old or something. And then and they then, gave him a vaccine, and bam, he aut- was autistic. Aut- autism. Just right there. It just it hit them. Oh, my this gosh. This very complex neurological condition with all kinds of factors just instantly happened the minute they were given a shot. I mean, it's just ludicrous. Uh, thankfully, I don't know that ant- that Donald Trump's anti-vaxxerism has had much of an impact. Uh, measles has been higher. It, measles was almost declared eradicated in the year 2000. And we've had higher measles rates than like we have in the past two decades. But did that This st- year has, has been the highest rate of measles. You attribute that to Donald Trump? I attribute it to anti-vaxxers. Yeah. Well, okay. In terms of actual policy, I can't point to anything that the Trump administration has done to no, encourage. No, I just don't like anything that lends credibility. No, I agree to such a crackpot, easily disproven theory. I agree, and I don't understand why this woman is being given a platform. She doesn't Where have a prayer. Where is she from? I don't know yeah. anything about. She's like a spiritual healer. I mean, she's she's from nowhere. I don't know what state how, she's from. But how she, do you get into the, these debates? I think you have to have a minimum polling threshold, except for I don't know how low that would be because there have been 18 people participating in right. these debates. So the the big the big stars on the first debate were... Um, Kamala Harris. No, Kamala Harris was the second debate. Kamala Harris was oh, on stage the... with Joe Biden oh, yeah, and beat right. up on Joe Biden. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Elizabeth Warren uh, was was, I think, the big star of the first debate. Apparently, Beto O'Rourke really started speaking Spanish. Started speaking Spanish. Somebody said it was the equivalent of him coming up there and saying, "Me llamo Beto. La biblioteca es libros." I mean, the library is books. Yeah, just like the the one semester of Spanish Spanish love song was the quality of his Spanish. Donde está el baño? Feliz cumpleaños. Yes, I love that video, and uh, I would love it if that guy ran for president. That might be kind of fun. He's probably as qualified as a lot of the other people there. That is correct. So uh, so there weren't a whole lot of sparks that flew, although everybody that seems to have watched it um, seems to think that uh, Elizabeth Warren was one of the most impressive. The Drudge Report did an incomplete... Your favorite website. Well, the Drudge Report is helpful in that it, it gives links to everything. There isn't... What? And other websites don't? What a weird justification. It has links. Well, okay, you're, you're right. I can click on them. No, but when, when I want to go and find a George Will column or I want to go and find, you know, any of these. If only there was like a search engine <laughs> you could do that with. This Drudge Report is just a good shorthand for me. It, it, it doesn't matter. Anyway, they did an unscientific poll and the runaway winner was Tulsi, Tulsi Gabbard. What? I don't even, I don't I've know. never heard that name. She's a woman who was apparently an Iraq War veteran. Oh, I um, I don't know anything about her. Uh, the reviews that I've seen of the, were that she was very scripted and very polished. And scripted so, is good. I don't know. Depends on who you talk to. See, okay. So what I want to do is reveal to the world the secret to winning a political debate. Killing your opponents before they have the chance to debate you. And that is not almost... killing them, incapacitating, giving them like diarrhea or something, so they can't. Well, be well on that the would stand. do it. Yeah, I didn't realize that was an option. Nobody had ever presented that to me. Diarrhea is always an option. There you go. 
Well, so I have now participated in a, in a number of political debates, beginning in 2004. I was in debate club in um, sixth grade. Hey, I won best freshman debater in Calabasas High School my freshman year. I still have the trophy upstairs, so you should be impressed. Our, we, I, I was only in debate for like one year, and I was always pro for, should schools have recycling programs? And I would tear the other team to shreds because they had to argue schools should not have recycling programs. Oh, gosh. That was the best. The debate topic my freshman year was resolved. The United States should significantly curtail its arms sales to foreign countries. And the debate teacher had prepared a case about not selling arms to Taiwan that every freshman gave. And I thought it would be cool. I went and researched a case saying we should not sell arms to mainland China. And I would run that case, and everybody debating Calabasas High was upset because they were all ready with this ready-made, pre-canned response to our Taiwan case. And I ran the China case and, and always won. So and that, they still talk about it to this day. And they still talk about it to this day. But my first political debate or experience on the political stage was when I was a surrogate for Fred Lampropoulos who couldn't participate in a gubernatorial debate in 2004. That's such a funny word. Gubernatorial, I know. Gubernatorial. I have no idea where it came from. But I got to debate John Huntsman, who ended up being the Utah governor. I got to be on the same stage, and that was back when there were, I don't know, eight or nine people, so I was just one of a whole horde of people. And when my father ran for, for his final unsuccessful attempt to get, his, get a fourth term, uh, he was sitting member of the U.S. Senate and didn't have time for a lot of these debates. And so I actually spent a lot of time on stages with Mike Lee, who's the current senator, and the other people running. And I also, after Dad lost the primary... And I wiped primary, the floor with him. And I wiped the floor with him. And after the um, Republicans threw Dad out, uh, I stood in as a surrogate for Sam Granato. Yeah. So, so that was before I actually even ran for office myself. And so I want to give a few debate pointers to everybody. And th this is how to win a presidential or any political debate. Okay. All right? Except for I'm going to use that as a cliffhanger. We can talk about that when we get back from our break. All right, here it is. The first rule of a political debate. Wear pants. Uh, that's the third rule, actually. Okay. No. The first rule of a political debate is begin speaking right after the question is asked and form a coherent sentence. Okay. That As opposed to like waiting a minute and then going like, duh, 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 duh. To, to some degree, yes. The, the, the person who is able to keep talking and sound like they know what they're talking about will win the debate regardless of what they say. There are exceptions to that. If you just stand up there and start swearing at everybody, or you start talking about really crazy, kooky stuff, then yes, that, that, that's not true. But if you can stand up there and look like you have thought about this and you don't stumble over your words and you're able to speak... I, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to speak. start speaking right away. This because, sounds a lot like... Um... The tips also in a pageant when they ask you questions. It's exactly what it is. It's exactly the same thing. It is exactly the same thing. So maybe Be that's why Donald Trump was won. That's exactly why Donald Trump won. Donald Trump 
uh, wiped the floor with Hillary Clinton in the debates. In retrospect, at the time, it didn't seem like it. But what Donald Trump was able to do was his second debate was the one where everybody looked at him and said, okay, you're done, buddy, because the Access Hollywood tape had just come out where he talked about grabbing women by the you-know-what and all that. And everybody thought, he's doomed. And he wasn't. He wasn't flustered. He kept talking. He talked all the way through. And what he said was nonsense. But everybody walked away from it and went, oh, well, he was a whole lot better than I expected. Yeah. It's all about expectations. You you hear... Keep pre- the bar low. You keep the bar low beforehand. It's so funny on any presidential debate, you talk to the campaign and they go, oh, well, man, this my opponent is the most brilliant debater in the history of the world. And they, uh, you know, will be, just be lucky to survive. And then after the debate is, we were the most amazing orator since Daniel Webster. And it was the most remarkable thing. I mean, it's just, it's just so predictable. Yeah. All you have to do is be confident, don't be flustered, and the minute you stumble over your words, and the minute you forget something, you're toast. Yeah. Rick Perry, you know Rick Perry, former governor of Texas? Yes. He's now in the Trump administration as a secretary of something stupid. Okay. I I can't remember. But Rick Perry talked about three federal agencies he wanted to eliminate. Oh, I vaguely remember this. And he listed the first two, and then he spent like five minutes trying to figure out what the third one yeah. was. And even Mitt Romney was next to him saying, well, is it this one? Uh, no, no, not that one. Um, um, um. And he was done. Yeah. His campaign was done. Yeah. Uh, nobody remembers what is said in a debate, with very, very few rare exceptions. Nobody remembers. And very few people, and they're not willing to admit this, but very few people understand what's being discussed in a presidential yeah. debate. They bring up these issues. Again, like pageants. Right. And so you just sit there and look at them. And so what they're doing is they're trying to delude themselves into thinking they're making an intellectual decision. Uh-huh. What they're really doing, I mean, these are the people watching debates, what they're really doing is gauging emotionally their connection to people. And if you can stand up there and say even outlandish things with a reasonable tone of voice in a clear and consistent manner, they're going to say, hmm, this guy knows what they're talking Gosh, about. Politics are a nightmare. But that's exactly this what it is. is. horrible. You know, I mean, to compare it to pageantry, the thing is, there's no possible way to dissect a complex issue yeah, in, a in these kinds of yeah. debates. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. especially when you have 20 people on a stage right. and you're fighting for time. The first debate when I ran for Congress was down in Moab and there were literally 20 people on the stage. Uh-huh. And we each got like a minute. And so I had to come out and say something very clear and very, you know, here I am and I'm strong. And that was it. And I can't remember what I said doesn't matter what I said. It's how I said it and whether I said it with confidence and whether I said it in a way that could create some kind of emotional connection with the people listening to me. Sure. And that's it. That's yeah. all there is to it. And so that's one of the reasons why Joe Biden is a very good debater. Joe Biden is very good at saying nonsense in a persuasive <laughs> and... I mean, he says all kinds of nonsense, but it's just, you know, I'm, I'm Uncle Joe. I'm your buddy. I'm your yeah, pal. Yeah. And, you know, people come afterwards and pick it apart, but it doesn't matter. He was there in the moment forming a connection with people. It's the reason why Hillary Clinton lost, Yeah, I think, is that I think she had probably, on paper, if you were to, if this debate were submitted in writing, Hillary Clinton would have won. Yeah. But people looked up at Hillary Clinton and they said, well, he, she's not pleasant. She's mechanical she's I, I don't feel any kind of connection to her and the thing is if you press people on this if you if you go and talk to them they will not admit this 
and maybe they don't even know this, and it's they will just, start saying it's unconscious. Well, they well they, the, the, they'll try to start saying, well, I you know I didn't hear any new policy proposals. Like you didn't <laughs> want to hear any new policy proposals. Well, you know, but but they don't want to look stupid. It's like uh, the Jimmy Kimmel liar. Oh yeah, lie witness news. Lie witness news. You yeah. ask him a question, it's nonsense, and nobody wants to look stupid. Yeah, so they all make up answers. So so the way to win a presidential debate has be nothing. Be hot. Be pretty. Be charismatic. That's all it is. It is a pageant. I think that's the best way to describe it. It is a pageant. Treat it like a pageant. Go in there. You need to have answers that that you have get prepared. Get your spray tan on. Long get your advanced. teeth whitened. You know, I would tell that stupid story about Daniel H. Wells at every single debate. About how... You know, I, I've told it on this podcast. Yeah, about how Grandpa was ugly. Yeah. Yeah. And it always got a laugh, and it was always funny, and the other candidates just hated me for it, because it was like, we got to hear this stupid story again. But <laughs> yeah, I did it. they know how I feel then. That's right. But I did it because that's how you win. That's how you connect. Politics is about human connections. It has nothing to do with anything else. I and, hate that. And debates... That's the exact opposite of how I like things. I like things to, like, run on, like, best... like facts and stuff like who knows who is the most qualified who's the smartest how can we best get this done that has never ever won a presidential i hate debate. that ever not even once and debates are the worst place in the world to get that kind of information it's not possible right so you'd have to accept it for what it is and the reason why donald trump is successful is that he understands that he understands the game and treats it like a game and serious quote-unquote candidates who come in there and are ready to just give you, you know, dry policy proposals, are going to get laughed it off the sucks stage. sucks because they're the, the smartest ones and most qualified to actually do the job. Well, the skills that make for a good candidate are very different from the skills that make for a good legislator or governor. Right. And that's the challenge we have. I don't know if there's any way we can fix it. So once again, we come to the end of a, of a broadcast without any Everything kind of... Everything is terrible. <laughs> Everything is terrible. And, but... We will persevere. If you are listening to this podcast on the radio, please subscribe to us on, on iTunes or at the KSL Podcast Center. Until next week, I'm Jim Bennett. I'm Abby Bennett. And we'll see you next time on Dinner Table Politics. Bye.